again, last week we talked about, you know, fatherhood and how there's a, a war on fatherhood. The first week, remember, we talked about how we had three enemies. We had our old sinful nature, who's always trying to convince us that we can't change, or we've tried to change, or you've done that before, but it didn't work, so why try it again? Any of you guys ever struggle with that one? I think we all have. That is our old sinful nature. Okay? We talk about how culture is, is at war with us, because everything in culture is telling you it's all about you. Make you happy. Do what you want. And so culture is saying, if you don't have this, or you don't drive this kind of car, or if you don't go to this place, or if you don't hang out with this people, or if you don't have this many likes on your Facebook, or if you don't have this many likes on your Instagram or your Snapchat or whatever people are using nowadays, then you're just not cool enough. And so you're not good enough, so you've got to try harder. There's a book Rob Ketterling wrote a few years back called The Thrill Sequence. And it's basically, we've created a culture that we always have to take everything one step further. You know, if I can jump off four steps and get like 72 video likes, then if I jump off eight steps, I can get more likes. And so I'm cooler. Until one day we jump from too many steps, we break a leg. And so we're constantly chasing the thrill of the next thing that is going to get people to like us. I'm sure if you all got teenagers, if you've ever talked to a teenager or anybody who does social media, they are always trying to find a video to go viral. Last time I checked, and maybe I'm just old, but viruses were bad. But this is what we want in today's culture. Does that make sense? No. And then we really do have an enemy. We, Satan is real. His job is to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only job, and he's good at it. He'd been doing it for a long time. So if you think you're going to overcome him on your own by trying harder, it ain't happening. See, we can't overcome him, but Jesus has. And that really leads me into today's message. Because today's message is learning how to win the battle within. See, here's the thing is, I get to talk to a lot of people with what I do. Whether it's my job here as a pastor, it's my job as a rec director, I get to talk to a lot of people. And you want to know what I hear a lot of people talk about nowadays? No? Yes? You just want me to give you the answer? Uh, (laughs) Stress is a huge one today. Because everybody's so busy. Everybody has stress with their bills. Everybody has stress with their jobs. Everybody has stress with their boss. Everybody has stress with coworkers because they never seem to measure up to what we want. Now, if my boss would just do what I wanted him to, I could get along with my boss. Well, as I, I've told some people, I'm like, if you want to be the boss, go back to school and become the boss. Otherwise, do what you're told to do at your job because Jesus calls us to do that. Jesus said you can lead up, but do what you've been called to do first. See, we can't make a change until we change. The second thing people complain a lot about is all the problems they have today. Oh my goodness, everybody's got problems. And it it could be problems with relationships. You're fighting. You're struggling to make it by. You fight, you gotta fight to be right. You know, if I just made $27,000 an hour, then I could afford this house that I have to have $27,000 an hour because I have to live like everyone else that can impress them. See, we all have problems talked about that in week one. If you think you're going to live a problem-free life, the only time that's going to happen is when you die. 
all your problems will disappear when you're dead. Up until then, we live in a fallen world that's, that has sin in it. And so we're going to have problems. The, but the one common denominator to all those things we just talked about is what? You. All your problems, all your stress, everything that you think is wrong have one common denominator. You. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. See, we can't blame them. Because the last time I checked, and most times I talk to people, they don't exist. Well, they said this. Just sometime when someone says that to you, ask who they are. Well, uh, see, they don't exist. We use it and then blame someone else. See, the problem is with us. So today what I want to do is I want to face all three of those enemies, but we're going to start with the internal war. We're going to start with understanding that what's going on inside of you is more important than what's going on around you. You've heard me say it before that God's more concerned with the who than the do. God is more consumed and concerned with who you're becoming than what you're doing. See, God is calling us to progressively become better, to progressively become more like Him. If we think we can become a Christian and stay the same, I got this really cool book from Peter Haas that's a few years old right now that's called Pharisectomy. It's releasing the inner Pharisees inside of you, your religiously transmitted diseases. It's a really cool book. <laughs> but if you think about it, it's, it's to understand that to win the battle outside, it starts with a heart transformation. It starts with us changing. It starts with Jesus doing something in us. You may identify with this letter that I wrote down from Rick, Rick Warren that he received. He said, I need to explain some, something to me. When I first came to Christ, everything seemed to change for the better immediately. I felt joy for being forgiven for all my shame. I felt peace knowing that God loved me. I felt hope because I learned that he had a purpose for my life. It was, a, it was a, all a great relief, but after a while, my joy seemed to shrink. Following Christ became a struggle. Old habits reared up their heads again, and I felt the tug of my old ways coming back. This really frustrated me because I thought I was all through with that. I want to do the right thing, but I lack the ability to do it. I can't seem to fulfill all my good intentions. I know what is right, and I know what is wrong, and I really don't want to do wrong anymore. I know that God doesn't want me to do wrong either. So why do I still make bad choices? What's wrong with me? It's so frustrating. And he finishes with saying, I sometimes even wonder if maybe I am really a Christian. How many of y'all ever felt that way? And if you don't raise your hand and say yes, I'll pray for you afterwards for lying. Because we all feel that way. We all know we do things wrong. But the problem is, is we don't want to admit we do things wrong. I was talking with somebody yesterday about it as a pastor. I have other pastors I go to that I can share with because I need them. Because I struggle with things. We all are going to struggle with things. But see, if you've ever felt that way, today is an amazing day for you to be here. Because that's what we're talking about today. 
is why. And, and we're going to get into, if you want to, we're going to go into Romans 7. And see, we need to understand that God is big enough for those type of questions. It's okay to ask those questions. I mean, if you've ever read the Psalms, you see David go back and forth where he asks God tough questions. You can see Job where he asks God tough questions. But what both of those do and what we need to do with our questions is understand that we have to talk to God, not about God. And then we have to be willing to listen to the answer, even though it may not be what we want. See, over the next two weeks, we're going to cover this. Okay? As we get into Romans 7 today, and as you read Romans 7, you really see a picture of what a defeated Christian life looks like. And to go through as much as I would need to to cover all of this today would just take way too long, and you all don't want to be here that long. I would share if you guys don't mind, because you guys are awful quiet right now. I might just share it all. All right, there we go. You all got outvoted. Um, today what I want to do is I want to talk about emotional cost. The emotional cost of understanding, living that defeated Christian life, living in that mindset of saying I'm never good enough. And so what we want to do this weekend is consequences of what happens in our life with this battle. If we're not careful, if we don't learn how to fight it, because guess what? Whether you want to fight it or not, you're going to fight it. There is, is a war going on for eternity for your soul, and whether you want to fight for it or not, it's happening. And so I want to fight with you. I cannot do the battle for you. See, it's one thing I learned when I was in the military. Guess what? When you go into war, what do you do? You go in with a unit. You don't go in by yourself. You go in with brothers and sisters that you trust by your side, knowing that they got your back no matter what. That's what the church is supposed to be, is that no matter what you're walking through today, we will walk with you through it. And if we don't bond together, if we don't learn to fight this fight, we will be defeated. And there's a consequence that I can't let you guys live with, and that is hell. And so what we, as we jump into Romans 7 today, and we're going to start in verse 15. Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians outside of Jesus that ever lived, wrote this. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. But listen to what he says in verses 15 through 25. He says, I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And now I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I know what to do is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to listen, and I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. 
Oh, what a miserable person I am. See, that's Paul writing that. So if you've all felt that way, it's okay. Because we all go through that battle because we all have an old nature that tries to draw us back. We all have things in our life that if we don't learn to fight them, will keep rearing their ugly heads. See, we're reading about Paul's frustrations here. We're reading about things Paul was struggling with. See, he says, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyway. Why? And I've done that. I've laid in bed some nights. And it's like, God, why do I still struggle with this? God, why am I still dealing with this? Why? Because your old nature is still there. Our sinful nature is still there. When we come to Christ, yes, we are Christians. But we still have a sinful nature living inside of us that we have to slowly overcome. See, when you try to please God by your own strength, two things are going to happen. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to give up. This week we're talking about winning the battle inside of you that changes things, that you want to change, but just can't seem to change. And so what I want to start off with this morning is looking at the cost of this emotional battle. The cost of this emotional battle in number one is confusion. If you look at Paul, Paul starts out with the statement of, I really don't understand myself. I really don't get it. And so we get confused. But here's what I want you to understand if, as we read through that and as you read through just that verse 15, it says, I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, is what is right, I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He says I five times in that verse. If you read all of Romans 7, it is mentioned 27 times, I. See, we got an I problem. Because when we try to make it about us, when we try to do it under our own strength, when we try to do what we want to do, we can't. We slip. We fall. See, this morning, what I want you guys to say right now, seriously, I want you to repeat this. I am my biggest problem. And remember that. Instead of blaming everyone else, we are our own problems. Now, yes, there are things out there, and I'm not saying everybody else is, nobody else is anything wrong, but see, guess what? Jesus said, watch your own bobber. He said, follow me. He didn't say change them. He said, follow me. And so when I understand that I am my biggest problem and most of my problems start because I want to either control something, I want somebody else to do what I think they should, I want to change a situation because I think I know how to do it better, do you hear all those are a whole lot of I statements in them? Next week, trust me, next week we're going to go into chapter 8, which is the victorious Christian life. But today we need to this is real. This is what we fight against. The second thing we see in this is we see Paul starting to talk about guilt and shame. 
In Romans 7, 16, out of the Living Bible, it says, I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves it. I may agree with these laws I am breaking. See, it's, okay, Jiminy Cricket, great. All you old people that watch Disney, y'all remember Jiminy Cricket? We have something better. He's called the Holy Spirit. Don't look for this little grasshopper sitting on your shoulder. Yes, I know he's a cricket. Relax. Just want to see if y'all were listening. We have the Holy Spirit who reminds us what we're doing is wrong. But what the Holy Spirit does and what Jiminy Cricket does is he says, you shouldn't do it because you'll be a bad person. You'll turn into a donkey. So don't do that. But the Holy Spirit says, no, don't do it because it's bad for you. Let me show you a better way. He doesn't leave you hanging. But see, we deal with guilt and shame of our bad choices. See, God does not want you walking around feeling guilt. He does not walk you around feeling shame. Why? Because Jesus paid the penalty for your guilt on the cross. You do not have to pay for that guilt. Now, the Holy Spirit will convict you, but as we talk many times, conviction draws you to God. It does not push you away from God. Condemnation pushes you away from God. And that's what the enemy will do to you. He will tell you you're not good enough. He'll tell you you've tried to change before. He'll tell you you can't do it. See, there have been a lot of times in my life when I was willing to do the right thing, but I didn't do it. And see, the Bible actually calls that a sin. When you know what to do and you don't do it, you're sinning. See, when we don't say the right thing, when we know something is wrong and we don't step out and help, we're not doing what God's called us to do. The third thing we, th- we start to see when we start dealing with the emotional cost is, is we start seeing compulsions and we start seeing addictions. Romans 7, 17 says, but I can't help myself because I know I am no longer doing it. It is sin inside of me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. See, when you start doing something and you do it so many times, what does it become? A habit. Aren't most addictions just habits? It's just what I've always done. It's how I've always dealt with problems. See, most things start as habits. And once they become a habit, guess what? You have a hard time stopping it, don't you? Because you don't know any other way. See, it's because we're built with a human nature. And there's sin in it. Our natural inclination is to do the wrong thing. See, and the reason I can say that is because how many of you guys just want to do the easy thing? How many of you all want to be comfortable? How many of you all want to do whatever makes you happy? How many of you all know God will challenge all of that? Again, as, as me and Michael were talking this week, and I love using the gym as an analogy because it works so well. How do you build muscle? You have to challenge it. How do you get in shape? You start eating better. You have to change your habits. But if you, even on that type of stuff, if you try to do it under your own willpower, you don't have a goal that's, got, got, that's been set in front of you, you will quit. It's why New Year's resolutions never work. Because we try to do them under our own power. See, we like to sin if, we, if we're just honest with ourselves. You know, Louis Giglio um, gave the analogy one time of a tiger cub is really cute when it's first born. Sin is fun and cute 
when it's little. But eventually that sin grows to a full-size tiger. And at that point, that sin becomes deadly. See, we can't even mess around with it. We can't compromise with it. Because though it may look good for a while, that always comes with a cost. It always comes with you having to pay for something. There's always going to be a payoff and you have to decide that the short-term pleasure isn't worth the long-term cost. The fourth thing we see is we see self-condemnation. Romans 17, 7.18a says, I know I am rotten through and through, so as, so, far, so as far as my old sinful nature is concerned. Some of you today have gotten really good at this. You've gotten really good at putting yourself down. You've got really good at condemning yourself and how you're not good enough. It's become a habit just to put yourself down whenever things go wrong. We begin to question whether or not we're Christians. We, we question whether or not God loves us. We question whether or not God is mad at us. So we start condemning ourselves. You try to change. You try to work through it. And you try to put, your, put yourself through it. And then all of a sudden when you don't make it, you put yourself down again and saying you're not good enough. And what happens as you continue to do that is number five comes up and your frustration level starts to build. You start getting frustrated. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do is good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyways. Now, if I am doing what I don't want to, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has me in its evil grasp. How many of you guys have ever tried to ignore the law of gravity? How many of you this morning would be willing to say, I'm going to stand up and fly and start flapping your wings? No? Nobody, huh? Why? Because the law of gravity is still going to hold true whether you believe it or not. There are laws that are true whether you like them or not. See, this, the same is true in the spiritual realm. When I try to do the right thing by my own simple willpower, I'm just flapping my wings. I'm never going to get off the ground. The law of gravity and the law of physicality is still the same. We're not going to change it because we don't believe it. It's going to cause frustration in your life when you try to overcome things on your own. That's why we have a group. That's why it says iron sharpens iron. That's why it says don't forsake the gathering together. That's why Paul and, and all of the New Testament believers are saying, guess what? We got together. We ate at each other's house. We did things together. We were always doing life together. We did because we need each other, because we need the strength from each other, because we cannot do it on our own. And once frustration takes over, the sixth thing comes up, we start getting discouraged and, and despair takes over. And he says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. Oh, what a miserable person I am. 
who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. So Paul at this point is ready to give up. I mean, if you think about it as you're reading it, because now remember, when the Bible was written, there wasn't chapter breaks, there wasn't all these punctuations in it or anything else. It was a free-flowing letter. And so if you would have got to that point in this letter, and that's all you had, he's like, what am I going to do? And some of you this morning have felt that way. What am I going to do? Where am I going to turn? And you're ready to give up. It's not going to take more hard work. It's not going to take you trying harder. It's not you going out into the woods by yourself to get right with God. Because you have two natures that live within you. You have your old sinful nature and you have the new nature Christ gave you when you came to Him. There's a story of an old Indian chief who was a Christian. He was trying to explain this war between the two natures to his son. And he said, it's like two dogs in my mind in battle together. There's a good dog and there's a bad dog and they're fighting it out. The young son said, Dad, which one wins? He said, whichever dog you feed the most. So which nature do you feed the most? Do you feed your old sinful nature the most? Or do you feed the new creation you are in Christ the most? You want to defeat the old sinful nature? It takes turning to Jesus. See, when it seems like you've lost all hope, I want to tell you this morning, it's always too soon to quit. So to finish off this morning, we're going to jump into chapter 8 next week, I promise, and talk about the, the victorious Christian life. But I want to give you hope this morning as we finish this off that this is not the end for Paul or for you. You have victory. In Matthew 5.3, one of my favorite verses, if you read it out of how the message version says it, it says you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because with less of you means more of God's rule. See, so when you feel like you've come to the end and you just don't have any farther to go, praise God, that's where Jesus begins. Please, get a little excited that when I get to the end of me, Jesus is there. But I got to get to the end of me first. I'm going to put some lights or something in here to wake you people up. Um, so the first thing we need to do to win the battle inside of you, you have to commit yourself completely to Jesus. Stop playing. It's time to go all in. It's time to say enough of this game. I ain't playing it no more, Jesus. And I, I love, again, going back to Louis Giglio, a talk he gave. He says, you know, we have these people who want to play Christian over here. And then we have this gray area that the world lives in. And then we have people over here who want to love Jesus. What he wants to do and what his whole purpose of his ministry is to do is to shrink that gray area. Because what does Revelation warn us? I will spit you out if you are lukewarm. I want you either hot or cold. Why? Because I can work with one of you. 
I can't work with somebody who just wants to play Christian. I need you committed, or I need you out, because then I can get you committed. But if you think you know a lot, we don't get committed, do we? We know what we should do, but we don't do it. That's where our frustration comes from, right? And so when we become completely committed to Christ, we understand it's about Him. It goes deeper than what we think. It's about knowing Him more. It's about more of Him in our life. It's about Him taking over our lives. But see, just having Christ isn't enough because He doesn't want to just be resident of your life. He wants to be the president of your life. He doesn't want to be part of it. He wants all of it. And He died on a cross. So I think it's okay to trust Him with it. See, you're under new management this morning if you've accepted Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And Jesus is there. See, this isn't about self-help. This is about selfless. Less of me, as John the Baptist said, and he must become greater. The second thing you need to understand this morning to start winning this battle is I must detect and disarm the lie that I'm believing. The number one way Satan messes with your life is by throwing lies into your head. Thinking you're going to miss something if you don't do this. Or he'll tell you and convince you that it's really not a problem. That little compromise ain't really going to hurt nothing. Taking a bite of that apple means you're going to become like God. And yes, it was fruit. It didn't say apple. I just threw it out there. We're not getting a theological debate this morning. Okay, he said, take a bite of the fruit. And she's like, hey, it's going to be good for me. I'm going to know good and evil. I'm going to become like God. Sweet. Death. Those little things that we have to be so careful of are the lies that the enemy is trying to convince us of. Or we'll use that one as, I could be worse. How many of y'all ever use that one? How about this one? I'm not as bad as that person. Yeah, those are all lies straight from the depths of hell. Let's try to minimize our responsibility for the choices we're making. And God's saying, guess what? You can't minimize by blaming someone else for what you choose to do. You see, we lie to ourselves and we try to tell ourselves that things aren't that bad. My secret habit isn't really a problem and it's only hurting me. It's not hurting anyone else. But see, the Bible says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, according to John 14, 6, who is the truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. Yeah, you guys really aren't very interactive. Uh, <laughs> and so, if he's saying the truth's not in me, then Jesus isn't in me if I try to say I, I have no sin. Now, see, don't get mad at me. That's what the Bible said. The Bible says, then the truth's not in you. See, what... What you need to come to an understanding this morning is what lie have you believed and you told yourself that you need to admit to win the battle? Behind every self-defeating act is a lie that I've believed. That's your next fill-in. I think unless I skipped one on you. See, the problem is we tend to rationalize and minimize and make excuses. The big one that I wrote down is that we love to use on people, it was their fault. They did it. If they wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have done this. And it's always their fault. 
have an eye problem. Let's just go with that. It's no big deal. But if you want to stop defeating yourself, you must stop deceiving yourself and stop believing the lie. Jesus said it this way. When we stopped justifying the lies, when we start admitting the lies that we believed, Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And again, Jesus is the truth. The third thing we do, and this is the hardest for most people, this is why I have an issue with, um, I can just go out to the woods and worship God on my own and get one with nature, blah, blah, blah. Is the Bible clearly says in James 5.16 to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Okay, I can't confess my sins to another if I'm by myself. Now, if you want forgiveness for your sins, talk to God. Because He is the only one who does it. If you want change and you want to be healed, you have to confess it to someone else. See, there's always something that God's asking us to do. See, feeling your feelings is where healing begins. But what I do want you to understand about that, and the rest of verse 16 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Notice it doesn't say to go and tell everyone what your problems are. It's why I started off by saying, guess what? I have pastors in the area and, and mentors that I go talk to about my problems. Why? Because I know there are people who would take any problem or any struggle I have and use it against me to try to destroy what God's doing here. So you need to find a brother or sister in Christ. If you're female, preferably a sister. If you're male, preferably a brother. If it can't be your spouse. Because they already know what all your problems are that you can talk to, that you can confess to, that you can pray over. Because when you get to a brother or sister in Christ and it says, when a righteous man prays, heaven hears. Things change. When we pray for each other, when we confess to each other, things are set free. See, the difference between Romans 7, which is a picture of total defeat, and the picture of Romans 8, which is a picture of a man or woman of God in full victory. Why? Here is the key that I want to leave you with this morning. It is the Holy Spirit. Where we see instead of through all of chapter 7 in this count, 41 times I, me, my, myself, mine are used in Romans 7. In Romans 8, the word spirit is mentioned 19 times. Think about the first verse of Romans 8. Therefore, there is what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.